Well, it is with great joy that I open God's Word tonight, and I am so profoundly thankful that for this first weekend that we are uh, together, our two campuses, and you know, Jesus gave us a very sacred trust when he gave to us the gospel first, of course, to the apostles, and then uh, through the scriptures, he gave it to local congregations and local churches. And uh, this is the trust that we have, and this has been going on for 2,000 years, and our part of the story is as important a part of the story as any other. And we are doing this uh, for Christ and for his name and his glory. And so amen to that, as we just got done singing, uh, uh, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, uh, hallowed be his name. And that is our prayer and our, our desire. We're doing it for him. I remember when I was, uh, some years ago, when my, my brother, Scott, was leaving for the mission field, and he announced it, and we had like months of kind of getting ready for the moment when he was going to... Uh, have to leave and we were proud of him and we also were dreading that moment at the airport well the time came eventually you have to do this and the time came we went to the airport and uh, you know three little children my nieces and my nephew and we just were uh, we were just blubbering all over each other of course in that moment squeezing those kids and just hugging them and they were leaving to go to South America and we weren't going to see them for like three years or something and and I just remember when I went to hug my brother, I had, you know, that, that lump goes in your throat. It's just like leaps into your throat. And all of a sudden you go to say something and it's like, like that, you know, I had a watermelon in my throat in that moment. And all I could do as I was hugging my brother, uh, filled with pride, of course, but, but so, sad to see him go. All I could get out was for the king. For the king. And that's why we do what we do, isn't it? That's why every sacrifice is worth it. And that's why every uh, investment is worth it. And every change is worth it. And of course, this uh, merger is change for both congregations. You can't transition two into one without it meaning change. And we, of course, are uh, involved in that. It's one of the hardest things for us to do is to is to change. And all of us are going to feel this to one degree or another. Uh, I feel it myself. And what we have to keep before us, I think, is why we are doing what we're doing. Uh, why have we, uh, why have we done the, the fundraising? Why have we done the remodeling? Why have we done the, the video? And why have we done all these things? Why are we merging? Why are we prayerful about other places? We're doing it for, uh, for Christ, for the King, and for the Gospel. So as we work at these uh, transitions, and there are going to be many of them, I want to I covenant with you that we are going to strive to do two things well. We are going to love, and we are going to lead. Now, what I mean by love is I mean that shepherding kind of love, the kind of love that listens and encourages and nurtures, sometimes admonishes, uh, but is, is essentially seeking to build up and to, and to, and to be an encouragement. Uh, we are going to, we're going to lead our love. And, uh, we're also though going to lead. And when you lead something, it means that decisions have to be made. And uh, those decisions are, some have been made, we have many more to come. 
and we're going to do our very best to make wise and good decisions. And some of these decisions, you're going to think, that's a great decision. They really nailed that one. And some of them you're maybe going to initially go, I'm not so sure about that decision. Or maybe worse than that. I don't know. But the point being this, that we're going to lead. And to lead means that you have to, you have to make decisions, you have to move forward. So uh, we're going to do that by God's grace. So as we love the church and as we lead the church, it's our desire that we would be able to integrate these two congregations and all that that means with uh, just everything from getting to know people to policies and the database and who's where and who's in what small group and how we doing this, that, and the other. There's a thousand things that have to be decided, but we're going to do our very best uh, to do it well. I thought for this weekend that it would be very appropriate to, um, to do a message on the fact that this is our first weekend together. And the title of my message is One. Okay, just that. One. Now, uh, one of our staff people, when she, she heard that my message was One, said, I thought that might be your shortest sermon title ever. Uh, she said, except I remember one sermon you did entitled If... Uh, so this is the second shortest title ever, I think, one. And our passage is Romans chapter 15, verses 2 through 6. And for whatever reason, this over these weeks and months, as we've been working through this, this has been the passage that has just rung in my heart, and I've, I've thought of it and read it often, uh, and I, I just wanted to preach on it, because I think it says so well what we are doing and why we are, why we are doing it. And that, of course, is a big part of working through change successfully, is to know what we're doing and why we're doing it. So Romans 15, verses 2 through 6, and let me read our passage tonight, and then we'll dig in. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Well, we're jumping in here in Romans 15, and Romans, as you probably know, is one of the deepest, richest, most wonderful uh, things that has ever been written. And just very quickly, to summarize the uh, Romans 1 through 14, we find in, in this wonderful book, the Apostle Paul begins in chapter 1 with man's moral and spiritual uh, bankruptcy, uh, that we are morally depraved, we are fully fallen. In chapter 2, God is uh, declaring a righteous decree against our sin and against sinners, and we are under his judgment. In chapter 3, God shows how in the righteousness of Christ and in his sacrifice, his holy demands are met. The demands of his character and the demands of the law are met in the righteous acts of Christ. 
Chapters 4 and 5 show how salvation is by faith alone. Chapters 6 through 8 shows how Christ fulfills the righteous demands of the law and, in salvation, bestows all these amazing blessings upon us. In chapters 9 through 11, it shows God sovereign in salvation. And in chapter 12, Paul begins then, uh, as he often does in his letters, into the ethical implications for the doctrinal teaching that he's given thus far. And there are many of them. You can read them later. Uh, most of what he has to say in chapters 12 through 15 have to do with horizontal relationships in the church. Now, this, of course, is not surprising. Guess what the Romans uh, struggled with? They struggled to get along with one another. Now, they needed doctrinal instruction, and Paul gave that in chapters 1 through 11. But what really needed to be applied here was what it means, this majestic gospel, what it means in terms of the way that I relate to my brothers and sisters in the church. So that you could summarize Romans this way. Chapters 1 through 11, vertical. Man's relationship with God and God's salvation of man. It's about this vertical relationship. Uh, Chapters 12 through 16, all about the horizontal. The implications of the vertical in the horizontal relationships uh, with one another. And of course, we oftentimes fail to connect these two things. So that we think, oh, doctrine, and oh, God, yes, I love God, but you know what? I don't know about this person, and I don't know that I want to treat him that well. It's, I, I was at a pastor's conference one time, and a well-known pastor uh, said into the room, he says, you know what our problem is? He said, our problem is not our doctrine. He says, we got our doctrine down. Our problem is, is that we can't get along with one another. And a guy that I was sitting next to, a friend of mine that I was at the thing with, turned to me and said, since when is love not a doctrine? I thought that was an insightful comment. How about you? Indeed, love is a doctrine, a very, very important one. In fact, Jesus, you know, they came to Jesus and said, what are the two most important things? Of all the things and all that's written in the law, what are the two biggies? If you were to just synthesize it all down. And Jesus says, well, here's the biggest one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, but here's the second biggest one. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law hangs on those two commands. And this was the Roman, the, the struggle in the Roman church. Uh, they needed doctrinal teaching and Paul provided it. But what they really needed was to realize that who they are in Christ and justification and all these doctrines that Paul deals with has everything to do then in the horizontal application of the way that I uh, treat my brother, treat my sister, and relate to them. Now, the, the specific thing that Paul gets to in chapter 14 uh, was more of kind of lifestyle choices that some Christians in the church thought was okay and some thought was not. And specifically, it had to do with certain foods that some Christians in the church thought these are good and okay, and some thought no, no good Christian would ever eat that stuff. We all know that. And what happened was is that the people that were free to eat that food uh, in their conscience were eating it and, and uh, looking their nose down on uh, the people that didn't eat it. And the people that didn't eat the food were looking at the people that were eating the food and were saying, uh, basically, that you're no good. You're a bad Christian. And they were judging them because they were eating the food. 
Now what Paul, if you read chapter 14 again, this is just background. What Paul is saying here is not that what really matters is food. In fact, verse 14 makes it clear. What really matters, it is the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. And it's not about these temporary categories that in the end don't matter. What, it, what really does matter is righteousness and holiness. And we find out attitude towards one another. The loving of one another. The way that we show that we have tasted of the love of God in the way that we love one another. This was Paul's primary concern. We might say it this way. They were allowing a secondary thing to become a primary thing. And in the coming of the primary thing, they were missing out what the real primary thing was, which is loving one another. Or we may also say it this way. They were failing to keep the main thing, the main thing. And it was creating all kinds of problems. Now, with that said, let's look at verses 2 through 4. This is our, kind of not our primary text, but we're getting there. In verse 2, you see what Paul's bottom line is in these debatable matters. He says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So what is to be kind of my bottom line and things that maybe uh, people disagree in? My bottom line ought to be that I'm doing what I can to build my, 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 my neighbor up. Now that word there for build him up, uh, is the, the old word was a good one. And maybe some of your translations, I think the King James and the NASB both translate this uh, edification. That's a good old word. Edify to, edif- to, to, to edify your brother, what does it mean? It means that you build him up. In fact, the word there literally is house building. Okay? House building. And you know how this is, right? If you were to, if you were to drive through a neighborhood and you went driving past a certain area and you see a big pile of, of sand and a big pile of gravel and you see a cement slab and you see some, uh, walls, uh, studded up, and you hear the doosh, 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 doosh of the nail hammer, you would drive by that area, and what would you think to yourself? There is a house being built up here. We know, we know that look very well, although we don't know it as well lately as we used to. <laughs> Small economic commentary on that matter. Anyway, so that's, that's the sense of it. It's going up. And the picture here of edifying one another is that spiritually, I am building up my brother. I am, I am doing what I can to lift him up spiritually. I am, I am praying for him. I am giving him words or she words of encouragement. I am assisting him in some particular matter. I am giving a sense that I care for him and I'm there in trouble and difficult times. These are all things, and we know this when people do this for us. These are all things that, that this is a way that God enriches us as brothers and sisters build into us. And when they build into us, we are built up. Which is easier? Building up or tearing down? Now, some of you, I'll just tell you this. And some of you know this. I can't build a house. I can't. I don't have the skills to do it. 
I, I, you know, I, I know in our, in our auditorium now we've got, we've got people that are foundation people and we've got plumbers and we've got, uh, uh, what else does it take to build a house? Let's see. I'm not exactly sure. But all those other things, you know, maybe a roofer or two here. Anyway, uh, so I will never con- I'll never be the general contractor on your house. Clearly I have defaulted any possibility of that. Uh, it takes a lot of skill to build a house. You gotta know what you're doing to build a house up. But any fool can burn a house down, can't they? It doesn't take any skill. It doesn't take any knowledge. It doesn't take anything to build a house down or to, to burn a house down. And the same thing in the church, right? How are churches built up? Does it just happen magically somehow? You know, we just, uh, we just show up and the church is built up. No, it takes God's people building into one another for the church to be built up. But any fool can burn a church down. And Paul's admonishment here is this. You all have been in your way you've been relating to one another. You seem to be more intent on burning a house down rather than building it up. Give yourself to the building up of others. Now, we could say, well, why should I care? I mean, why can't I just come to church and go home and live for myself? Well, he says, because that's not what Christ did. And remember, what's God's plan? Romans 8, he is conforming us to the likeness of his son. And we find a certain attitude in the son of God, in his ministry amongst us. Paul says this, even Christ did not come to please himself. And if you just take an honest look for the briefest of moments at the gruesome death of Christ on the cross, you have to come to the conclusion that Christ was not there because he wanted to be there. Or he, we say it this way, he was not there for himself. Why was he there? He was there for the glory of God, in obedience to the Father, and he was there for his neighbor. And aren't you glad Christ was a good neighbor to you? So Paul says, listen, even Christ, if there was anybody who had the right to live for their own agenda or to live in their own bubble, it was Christ. He's the son of God. But even Christ, Paul says, did not live to please himself. He lived rather to please his neighbor. And we are all the eternal beneficiaries of his kindness. Now, verses five and six are our primary text. And this is a prayer. It's, it's a prayer. And Paul does this often in his letters where he just, he's writing along and all of a sudden he just goes into a prayer, right? This is a prayer of Paul. He's praying this prayer over the Romans. He's writing the prayer so they can see it. Remember though, that the Holy Spirit was inspiring Paul as he wrote. So this is not just the prayer of Paul. We could even say this, If the Spirit could pray in our services, what would He pray? Pastor Brad prayed earlier in this service. If we took Pastor Brad off of the schedule in the service and we said, the Holy Spirit will be praying in our service today, I wonder what He maybe would pray over us. Well, here we have the desire, the prayer of the Spirit of God for the church. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another 
in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this verse has been on my mind in this whole process, and, and I think for obvious reasons. If you see that, you maybe are thinking to yourself, well, I kind of get why that sort of popped for Pastor Steve and why he maybe was thinking about it. Paul longs for the church at Rome to come together for the glory of God. That's his big thing. Come together, unify, be of one heart and mind. For the glory of God. In fact, you hear the words here. Listen to them. Harmony. One another. Together. One voice. So let's ask the question. Why is oneness so important to the spirit of God? Well, the first and big reason is that God himself is one. God is One, the most high God is not a pantheon. He is one. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony. Now, if we had more time on this, and we've done a lot of teaching on the Trinity, as you know, it's one of my favorite subjects. We could dig deeper into this, but we just need to note here to understand the passage that God is one. Deuteronomy 6.4, the most famous verse in the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is five, seven, ten, whatever number you want to pick. No, He is one. He is one. Scripture tells us that God so designed this whole creation that we live in to be a massive self-portrait of what He is like. So that God builds into creation, Romans 1 teaches us, His divine attributes, His divine qualities. And they are all around us shouting and telling us what He is like. And so God is big and He build, He makes the universe big and He is uh, creative. And so He, He, He builds, or He designed, uh, uh, polywogs and giraffes and some of you, <laughs> frankly. In fact, as I was getting ready for the service, I uh, was uh, sitting on my back step and this beautiful hummingbird came out of the trees and just was like hovering, not that close to me, but kind of out here like this, a red-headed hummingbird with those wings doing what they do so fast you can't even see them and just darting here and there. What a marvelous engineering feat the hummingbird was what's it saying about god and of course this is part of our theology of beauty and how we need to see that these things are not god but they are saying something about what god is like so when we come to the matter of god's oneness how did god build this design this into creation look around folks this galaxy this universe is in such tremendous symmetry, such tremendous precision, such a, such a, a complex, think of all the atoms and molecules and 
planets and solar systems and all of that. And it's all here in a kind of balance, isn't it? So precise, you can, you know, the, the, sun, the day and the year and all the revolutions uh, orbiting and all of that. It's just amazing complexities in this very balanced and unified universe. Why did God do that? Was that so we could go, wow, it's a, what a coincidence that the sun comes up at the same time. Or the sun doesn't come up at the same time, but the earth revolves at the same speed and day is always a day and all this. We just get used to it. We think this is just the way that it is. God built it into creation. Why did he do that? To tell us what he is like. There is within the Godhead a eternal and infinitely perfect symmetry and balance within the Godhead. You say, wait a second, I thought God was one. He is one. But the Bible presents the Godhead as three in one. There is a oneness to the Godhead and there is a threeness to the Godhead. That there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Three distinct persons somehow so perfectly harmonized with one another that it is also accurate to say that there is only one God. Now, at that point, I'm at the edge of mystery, and I don't get how it works after that. But we should just sit back and marvel at the God that we serve. There is that, that, that unity of purpose and that oneness of personhood and yet distinctness. God is one. He is one. He is diverse, but He is one. And one of the places that God has designed for this oneness to be reflected to His glory is within the church of Jesus Christ. Our relationships and the way that we treat one another matters to God because it is saying something about God. Are we blaspheming God by the way that we love or fail to love one another? Here's Jesus in John 17, his high priestly prayer. You say, well, I don't know about the Spirit's prayer. I'm not sure. I I would want to hear it from the lips of Jesus. Well, okay, let me tell you what Jesus said. Here it is. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we, we are one. That sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Should be that me are one. We, plural, are one, singular. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. What is the repeated phrase or word in this? One, 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 one. When you stop and think, here's Christ, it's right before he's about to be betrayed, it's, it's Thursday night, he's about to go to the cross, he can pray for anything that he wants to. He could pray for the whatever he wanted to about the future. Lord, I pray that they would have very good policies in those churches and that people would dress appropriately and, uh, you know, I pray that they uh, uh, sing my kind of music and I hope that they have... Cookies and punch out. Whatever. I'm getting silly now. But here's the point. Of all the things he could have prayed for, the thing he prays for is the way that we relate to one another. Right? 
What did Christ, what, what was on his mind hours from the cross? The future unity of the church. So since God is a paradigm of unity, what Paul says here is that he is the source of all unity. He is the source of all unity. The God of all endurance and encouragement. Now why do you think the the Apostle Paul, when he comes to this prayer, and he thinks about what those Roman Christians were going to need if they were ever going to unify and come together, he uh, picks two words that in the English start with the same letter. They're going to need endurance and they're going to need encouragement. Now, why are those two things that we were going to need? Well, because this is the way that it's always been, isn't it? What is harder than caring for and loving some of the people in the church? Don't amen too loudly right now. Because who you're thinking of may be nearby, right? It's hard, isn't it? We need endurance. We need encouragement to remain unified. It's as the old saying goes, to dwell above with the saints I love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints I know, now that's another story. And that is true. Here's the good news, folks, that God promises to resource, to provide everything that we need to remain unified. We can never say, well, I didn't have enough encouragement. I, if only I had a little more endurance, maybe I could have stuck it out with so-and-so. God says, I will give what you need to do this. Now you say, well, how does he do that? How do we access it? And the Bible further talks about that we do this by the Spirit. And again, we don't have time for this, but one of the realities that we, that, that we find in salvation is that when I trust in Christ as my Savior, when I become a follower of Christ, the Bible says that I am baptized into the body of Christ, which is almost a mixed metaphor, isn't it? Baptism is water, body is physical, but together you kind of get the point, don't you? We are, we are entered into a unified body. So that somebody said to me recently, you know, we don't create unity, we are unified. We just have a responsibility to show it, don't we? We are one in Christ, we are unified in Christ. The person next to you that's a follower of Christ is somebody that you are going to likely spend eternity with. Christ loves him. The Lord loves him. And so when we are walking in the Spirit, this me is a, is a picture of when I, am, when I am allowing the Spirit of God to lead and guide my actions and my attitudes, the Spirit draws me towards people and draws me towards things that are necessary, like forgiveness, right? Mercy, love covering a multitude of sins. These are all things that we have to have with one another. Because the flesh is all the time wanting to do the opposite of that, right? The flesh creates friction. The flesh is divisive. The flesh is always trying to bring, to tear people apart. So the flesh divides, the spirit unites. Now you might be here tonight thinking to yourself, well, that's very nice for you to say, you have no idea who I have to deal with. Well, here's what I can tell you. Try this with somebody that you're needing endurance with. 
and a little encouragement. We go back to verse 3, the example of Christ. He did not, he did not live to please himself. Try this with somebody that's really just hacking you off. Rather than doing what your flesh wants to do, which is to hack them, uh, into, or some lesser kind of violent action towards them. Do what love calls for, which is what? Some kind of sacrifice. Now, I find my first step with people like that is to simply pray for them. Now, that sounds sanctimonious, like, well, I'll pray for them. But try that. It's amazing how just praying for people and praying God's blessing in their life kind of changes your heart a little bit, you know? But do something for them. In some way, seek to actively love them. And, and for some of you, right, it'd be like this. To do that would be like just your, your feet are in cement. You do not want to do it. And you're just going to force yourself to take one step like that towards kindness, towards that person. That's how your feelings are. But give it a try. Because what happens is when I allow the Spirit's desires and the Spirit's uh, desires to lead me, now the fruit of the Spirit begins to be born in my life towards that person. And Galatians tells us that the fruits of the Spirit are all the things that are needed for me to be unified with people. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. How do we remain unified as a church? It is the, it's the Spirit of God. Because without Him, we have a thousand reasons to hate one another. Or we very shortly would if we spent time with one another. Which is maybe the key to good relationships, not spending time with one another. But I digress. So, this is the example of Christ. Who, how did He demonstrate His love toward us? Romans 5.8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Willingly, Philippians 2. And what did that action towards us produce? The greatest example of love and unity. The greatest victory, right? So this is the way that it works. Unity and love. So I just mean this as an encouragement. God can and will unite us. I say this to you and your relationship you're struggling with. I say it to both of our campuses now. I say it to people who do not know each other, which we got a lot of that going on right now. But God will unite us. We are united in Christ, and God will help us to express that towards one another. I pray that he does. So the first thing that we see is that God is one and is the source of unification or oneness the second thing is that we are one in christ notice how it goes on it says this may the god of all endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with christ jesus so the kind of harmony that we're called to reflect is in accord with christ jesus or according to Christ Jesus. Our unity is to be based on what we have seen in Christ. So notice the word too that he uses here is harmony. Now that's a nice word, isn't it? Harmony. Who doesn't love harmony? It's a, it's a musical word. Correct me if I'm wrong, right? Harmony. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that in order to have a harmony, you have to have a Melody? Am I, am I, am I in good ground here? 
Because if there is no melody, there's no harmony, that the harmony is harmonizing off of the melody. Then the harmony would be the melody, and then you wouldn't have a harmony. Right? So, here's the point. To have harmony, you have to have melody. You have to have at least two to have a harmony. So the melody is, uh, you know, la 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 and then the the that's the melody and then the harmony is like somehow complementing that and i cannot harmonize so i can't even pretend to do that but you know what i'm saying so that when you have two or three or even a whole choir of people that are really really good at harmony when they when they come together in the melody and the harmony it is almost like there's only one voice have you heard that when people are really good at it It's almost like there's just one voice, but it's actually two or three or a hundred voices who are, who are harmonizing together. This is what we are to do. It's interesting to think about this, I think, when it comes to the merger of our congregations. How many churches before the merger were there? And this is a trick question. Theologians, how many churches before the merger were there? And the correct answer is the sermon title, folks. One. There was one. There is only one church, right? Christ died for one church. When he comes back, he is coming back for one bride, for one church, So, in a sense, nothing's changed as a result of this. We were one church before, we're still one church. There's one spirit, one baptism, Ephesians 4, all the rest. There's only one church. And one reason that I am so encouraged by our churches coming together is that, particularly here in northwest Indiana, what the neighborhoods and the communities are much more accustomed to is not churches coming together, but churches dividing. If you know the story of the church in northwest Indiana, it is a story of dividing and dividing and dividing and dividing and dividing. But here we have something that goes like counter to that, right? We have two churches not dividing. They are coming together. And can you see the confusion in the community? When you say to your neighbor or something who's been around the block here a few times, you say, oh, yeah, these two, we're, we're two churches are uniting and they're like, what, what are you talking about? I've lived here a long time. You, you're much better at uh, building walls than tearing them down. Uh, what, what is going on over there for you guys to come together? Nobody does that, especially in churches. And you see how a oneness of purpose and a oneness of expression allows for a kind of voice in the community. That division and rancor and all the rest never allows because that's all people hear. Oh, you're all, it's just that, it's just like the, the moose lodge. Do they have those? I don't know. <laughs> Happy days. He always went to the moose lodge or the whatever sewing club there, whatever that you're a part of. People get mad and upset and divide and all the rest. We have, my friends, A wonderful opportunity, and this is my prayer, to speak into this community something that is not blasphemy, but is true. That there is one God, and one Savior, and one 
message and one gospel and one mission by being one church in two locations with one voice. That's what we want. And we see the Paul, Paul expressing that same desire. Are you with me? Now, there's so many reasons to come together, but here's the big one, and I've already alluded to it. He says that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. With one voice glorify the Father. Here we have then the power of one. The power of one. The ESV translates it together you may, but there's some other translations that I think get at this perhaps a little bit better. The word in the Greek there is mind. Okay? So that with one mind, you may together with one voice, or the King James, I like this, with one mind and one mouth that preaches. One mind and one mouth. Now, why do you think that Paul said it's got to be both? He doesn't say just with one mind, you may do this, or he doesn't say with one mouth, you may do this. Because the mind and the heart, this is the internal affections and desires this is where uh where where we must be united and then with one voice which is the outward okay this is actions and words one message the internal and the external this they're both key for unity you've got to have both of them i recall the story of a boy this is an old story you've maybe heard it before the story of the boy at school who the teacher said uh tommy you sit down and he remained standing. He said, Tommy, you sit down. And he remained standing. And finally she said, Tommy, if you don't sit down, you're going to be in the biggest trouble you've ever been in. And Tommy defiantly sat down and he said, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. Right? And how many churches kind of have that sort of feel to them? Where there's an, a kind of conformity, but there's no unity. We conform to this but we're not in it with our hearts. And friends, we have got to be in this with our hearts. You, can I say this to you and to urge you to be in this with your heart? This is your church. This is our Jerusalem. We're not just playing games here. People are dying, going to hell every single day in this community. And who's going to tell them about Christ? And I'll go through my normal list are our government officials the source of salvation for Northwest Indiana? And it's laughable to think of it, right? The government isn't going to save us. Are the schools going to be the ones that offer uh, final truth and ultimate meaning and provide eternal life? No way. Can't happen. Are all of the businesses and the money and the this, that, and the other that people live for, are these the things that are going to provide salvation? It's laughable again. It can't. Where is salvation in this community going to be found? It will be found in a church of people whose hearts and words are united together. Because that's what the world looks at and says, what is it with you people, right? They've seen the hypocrisy, they've seen all of that, but the genuine real thing when my inside and my outside corporately are united together glorifying God, now that's a church people will listen to. And that's a church that will transform a community. And that's the kind of church we want to be. Amen? This week you may be tuning into the Olympics. I watched the opening exercises myself. I grew up in a family. The Olympics was like, you know, 
sacred. You watch the Olympics because you're an American, you know, and, and, uh, you know, to, to this day, I remember clearly, uh, the, for example, the, the uh, U.S. hockey team uh, in 1980 and all of that. I mean, that was like one of the greatest moments in our family when they beat the Russians and we're jumping around and all that. So to this day, when I hear bum, 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 oh, that's not the right tune. How's the Olympics go? Dun, 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 dun. Help me. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah, the, that tune. You know what it is. I haven't heard it in four years. I'm still getting used to it again. But I, whenever I hear it, it's, I, I kind of, I almost want to put my hand over my heart and sing the national anthem. It just stirs these kind of affections in me. So we're, I'm from an Olympic kind of family. So maybe you are too. Maybe you've been tuning into the Olympics or you'll be doing it for the next couple of weeks. Let me tell you what you're not going to see in the Olympics. You will never see a rowing team pulling the oars uh, at different times or in different directions. You'll never see it. Never. You're never going to see relay runners who refuse to pass the baton. Not going to happen. You're never going to see soccer players scoring for the other team. Not going to happen. You're never going to see synchronized swimmers doing their own thing. You're never going to see that, ever. And why could I say that with such confidence? Because if you do that kind of thing, you don't get to go to the Olympics. You don't have the honor of competing in the Olympics. Because the rowing teams that row in the Olympics are the ones that are really good at rowing together. And the... Uh, the, the soccer teams that get to play in the Olympics are the ones that are really good at not scoring in the, in the enemy's net, right? And the synchronized swimmers that do their own thing don't make it out of like beginning swimming class, much less to swim in the Olympics. And we look at the Olympics and we see, of course, marvelous athletes, but we see incredible unity, don't we? Amazing ability to work together for a common goal. And what is that common goal that they have? A medal, right? A medal. Bethel Church, listen. If we watch the Olympics and we sit there with our mouth open and we see the amazing athleticism and commitment and years of practice and incredible teamwork that they will do for a piece of medal, how much more should we Come together, work together, love through differences, unite for the saving of souls. And as Paul says here, the glory of Jesus and the glory of God. Ought that not much more motivate the thinking and reasonable Christian to be a part of a church and to be part of a team? And we need everybody in this church on the team. I'm here to tell you, we need you. God has given you gifts, skills, perspectives, talents. You have opportunities in the community, spheres of relationship that are unique to you. And without you, this church is not as effective in declaring the glory of Christ. We need everybody to come together. 
Why do we do it? Again, with one voice, we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the goal. Okay, that's why we're going to the trouble. That's why we're moderating things and flexing and trying to integrate things and remodeling and doing this, that, and the other. You're like, why are we doing all this? That's why we're doing it. And if we are going to stay united in the doing of this, we've got to keep before us what we're doing and why we're doing it. And I want that to be squared away in every heart and mind in our church. We are doing this because we are going for it, right? We are going for it. There are places you can go if you want to sit back and sit on your heels and just do a bunch of nothing and and wait for Jesus to come, okay? Be fine, be warm, be blessed, go there. But here, we want to be a group of people that are going for it, for the glory of God. One God, one Savior, one mission, one mind, one mouth, one church, one. Amen. Let's pray and stand for prayer. Our Father, tonight we do pray that you would have that prayer of Paul and the Holy Spirit answered. May it be answered in our midst. Pray that it would be, uh, that it would be so evident in uh, these two campuses, these two congregations becoming one that this community, which is so often filled with, uh, with split and division and, and painful experiences like that, might find hope and healing. And may our unity and our harmony give us credibility to tell them of the Savior who has done this. So to Him be glory, and to you, God the Father, we pray. Amen. Amen.